Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, all you Peter King podcast listeners. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash Peter King, podsurvey.com slash Peter King, and take a quick anonymous survey that'll help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed this quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, podsurvey.com slash Peter King. Thanks for your help. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, sort of a mid-season NFL podcast. We're almost at the halfway point of the 102nd NFL campaign. Uh, we're going to have quite a few things to discuss today and this week as we exit week eight and head into the midpoint right about week nine. Now that it's 17 games as the regular season, much to my chagrin, but now that it's 17 games, the midpoint comes a little bit later. So we'll welcome in Paul Burmeister, my friend from NBC, in a moment. And we'll also have as our guest, former NFL cornerback Darius Butler, uh, the pride of the Connecticut Huskies, uh, who is trying to make his way in the media business now, and I think is doing a fantastic job in basically analyzing the game and giving it a really good take, particularly from a DB's perspective. The former second-round pick of the Patriots uh, will have a good discussion with Darius Butler. But we're going to start first with my friend Paul Burmeister. And Paul, I think one of the things that I look at as we sort of look at the news of the week, I think it's sort of, it's sort of dwarfed by the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And by the fact that we are seeing in the first half of this season, Kansas City change before our very eyes and play a real conservative, try to play sort of a safe game uh, versus what we're used to seeing in Kansas City. Even after the 20 to 17 Monday night nail biter against the New York Giants, they're just four and four and three of their last four games They've scored 20 points or less. So I'm going to ask you the $64 million question. And I don't mean Roger Goodell's salary. Uh, the $64 million <laughs> question is, what did the Chiefs show you on Monday night? And do, do you think that they're on their way back or are they on their way to a really frustrating year? I would say small steps toward 
a good year, Peter. I don't think it was a giant leap in the right direction. They didn't all of a sudden look super comfortable in their own skin now that teams are playing, you know, dropping seven players and playing that uh, cover two with the safeties just bailing out. It's not like they snapped their fingers and said, oh, okay, that Tennessee game, now we get it. Now we can play well this way. But they certainly understand what teams are doing, and I think that they're on their way uh, to finding their way to be, you know, as they're their coaches and players and fans would hope effective in January, but it's all of a sudden for them, Peter, it's, it's fairways and greens instead of trying to hit the giant drive and some really cute shot up to the green and then nailing a long putt. Now they're having to play in a much different way. And I don't think they look really comfortable doing it, uh, but they are capable of winning that way. And I think last night was a small step in the right direction. You know what I noticed, Paul, and this is, this is something about Kansas City that I think is really, really important right now, okay? When they came out on their first drive, dink, 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 dunk, and, and basically making sure that they just move the chains, take what is given. And then on their second drive, when they get near the goal line, Patrick Mahomes, it looked to me, is going, <clears throat> and he just wants to cut it loose so bad and play like he always has that he throws that sort of that missile shot into the end zone through the hands of Josh Gordon off a helmet and it's intercepted. And I just thought to myself, man, if I'm Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes is coming to the sidelines and I look at him and I would say, man, you were doing so great until you sort of regressed to try to make it like it was 2019 all over again when we're good enough to play like it's 2019, but we're just not clicking right now. So don't try to play like it's 2019. This is a new season. It's a new time. Stop forcing anything. And I know it's difficult for Mahomes, but Paul, you were a quarterback and you have confidence in certain things that you can do, or you had confidence in certain things you could do during a game. And what I see in Mahomes is, okay, coach, I'm going to do exactly what you say. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. But there are some times out there where he really wants to be classic, Mahomes and at this point because there just isn't the spacing there's just not the room there's not the deep respect in the secondary to loosen up the middle of the field things just aren't there anymore tell me what you see look into the mind of another quarterback and what do you see in Mahomes right now I see uh for me Peter I thought a lot about this this season last night this morning especially couple of ways that, that I've kind of made sense of it. And one of them, I kind of stumbled into this anecdotal example of being around my kid's room, Peter, and follow me here. Vinyl is back for music. The, the old albums are back. Both of my boys have old record players in their rooms and play the music they listen to. And if you remember, there's two kinds of tracks. There's the 33 where you can play the singles. It's really fast. It spins in a faster yeah. way. And then there's the old album that's a 45. It goes slower. And it just works better that way. Patrick Mahomes has been playing on a 45. It's fast. 
That's the way he's used to playing. That's what makes sense to him. That's what feels right to him in the pocket. And now it's like he has to back up and play a 33. His 45 rhythm is too fast. He ends up moving sideways, moving forward, throwing jump passes because he's so sped up. He had so much success playing that way. And when teams aren't being aggressive with the blitz and showing you man-to-man and making you have to move in the pocket, it's kind of like you're back to a 33. It's a little bit slower, and he's just not always on that RPM right now. And that's kind of what I see with him for for kind of like a a music example, if you can follow that. And then strictly football-wise, it feels different in the pocket, and it looks different in the pocket when teams drop seven. When teams are coming after you, it's fast. You hit the top of your drop, and you know you have to get rid of it. When they're dropping seven, only rushing four, most of the time, you have the time for an extra shuffle, for a little move sideways, a little move the other way, a little move back in the pocket, where you're not scrambling to leave the pocket. And it's like he's not quite all the way comfortable playing that way all the time. And one other thing that's a little bit more in the weeds football-wise from how it looks for a quarterback, when you're against man defense, you know – you pick out one guy and you're watching to see if he opens up. You have to be aware of a free safety coming around, but you're pretty much looking at one guy that you picked out. You like that matchup, waiting to see if he gets open. Against the zone, you have to zoom out with your vision and kind of just use the peripheral vision. And you see gaps and you see color. You see your jerseys versus their jerseys. And if you're not looking at one thing, you can kind of see that. You can see the openings. You can see where where the ball is supposed to go because you're not focused in on one thing. And I don't know if he's if he's doing that well or not, but I remember the difference in looking at a zone and looking at a man. And, and that's what that's what I that's what I think of. That if he zooms out a little more, he'll see the open spaces, he'll see the gaps, and it'll tell him where it's where the ball is supposed to go. <clears throat> Paul, that really reminds me of a story I once did. Uh I took a a game uh, when I worked for Sports Illustrated. I took a game, Tampa Bay against Minnesota, when Adrian Peterson was in his prime. And, you know, it's amazing to think Adrian Peterson signs with Tennessee. And I'm going to talk about when Adrian Peterson and Derek Brooks dueled in a game. And I, I remember asking Adrian Peterson, the week of this game and I covered the game and then afterwards and and he kept coming back to this point that in the week I'm going to play I look and see the color of the jersey that we're going to play that week and in this particular week if the bucks are going to be red if the bucks are going to be white I just condition myself what color are they And then during the game, I run from that color. And I don't try in any way to make it more complicated than that. If somebody is coming right at me who's got that color, I'm going away from that person. And then if I see another one, then I'm going to try to split them. And he said, I always just run from color. And I always thought that that is such an interesting way to look at You know, what happens when you're on a field that's 100 yards long and 53 yards wide? You don't really have as much room as maybe you might hope if you're a running back or a quarterback. But for the defense, obviously, they want to narrow that. 
And I think what you're saying about Mahomes right now is absolutely spot on. You have to have to focus out now instead of focusing just narrowly because you can tell now defenses are really trying to take away Tyreek Hill and that deep ball. And I thought on the Manning cast Monday night, one of the things that they kind of harped on, and I think they're right, is, man, Travis Kelsey has got to get going. And whether it's that he's not open because these spaces now are smaller, but, you know, he had a fumble, he had a drop last night on Monday night. So I kind of look at it like it still just doesn't quite feel right but I still think that they can get there. Absolutely. And I thought about Kelsey as well too, Peter. And there's, there's a, a big difference for a tight end or a receiver or a running back in terms of how they get open against man coverage and how they have to find themselves open and get in the right spots against zone. And I don't know if Travis Kelsey is good at one or not as, not as good at the other, but there's a big difference for a tight end between getting open against someone who's pounced on you and you got to beat him one-on-one and then having kind of the nuance in the field to find the spot in his own defense, maybe that's part of his production going down a little bit and Patrick Mahomes not finding him as well. Uh, but whether it's Andy Reid, Kelsey, or Patrick Mahomes, they're all having to, to learn a much different version of the same game. Uh, I think we've seen that in the first half of the season, and we'll see how they continue to evolve, all of them here in the second half. Hey, Paul, let's move to the Von Miller trade, which I thought was really an interesting trade just from two standpoints, okay? From Denver's standpoint, here's what the Broncos did. They basically said, okay, we realize that we need to build for the future now and we may need, we're not going to say this, and I'm sure that nobody connected with the Broncos would say this, but they understand they need chips to try to play at the quarterback table when March and April come around, whether it be in the draft and it's sort of looking now like it's going to be an underwhelming draft class for quarterbacks or whether they're going to be able to get into that veteran quarterback market. Who knows? Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. No one knows right now what that's going to look like. But I'll tell you what exactly happened, Paul, and this is interesting. The Rams and the Broncos have been discussing this for weeks. And last week, they basically started on this concept. Look, this is going to be a two if a second round pick from the Rams to Denver, if you are going to ask us to pay most of the salary, which... We don't have that money, so it probably won't get done. But it's a two if we do that. It's a two and a three if you will pay the vast majority of the salary. And so that became something that was more and more possible and more palatable to the Denver Broncos because the Broncos may finish around middle of the pack where the draft is. This gives them in agreeing to pay $9 million of Von Miller's $9.7 million due this year, in agreeing to pay for the rest of this year, in agreeing to pay for $9 million of it, 
the Denver Broncos and George Payton, the general manager, bought a third round pick. And here's what I find more interesting about that too, Paul. The fact that in buying that pick, what Denver did very quietly is they told their guys, look, we're not there right now. And we're probably not going to be there. And we need, even though we're still going to try like heck to make the playoffs this year, we do need to have one eye on 2022. Now, just two points about the Rams that I thought were quite interesting. Number one, I talked to somebody who was in their locker room yesterday during the day. And basically, people are fired up in you know because they're so excited about the prospect that this team is going for it and going for it right now so you got the full backing of players you know of Leonard Floyd of of Aaron Donald of Jalen Ramsey those guys are really excited now and I also think that there's a philosophy in this organization Paul and that philosophy is we trust veterans more than we lust after the 62nd and the 98th picks in this draft. And, and I think what you're going to see, they're not going to ask Von Miller to play every snap uh, because you know he's been a little bit fragile in recent years. They're not going to ask him to play every snap. I believe you're going to see him play maybe 40 to 60% of the snaps to try to keep him whole so that late in the season, they're going to be able to, to have sort of classic Von Miller, uh, you know, playing well when it really counts. To me, this was a move for January and February, not a move for November. I realize I've droned on and on, but... What was your take on the deal? <laughs> I like that you leave it off thinking about January and February because that's where, right where my mind went. Uh, first of all, Peter, I remember the conversations we had in the draft and you making the point week after week about how impressed you were with the GMs now not thinking about draft picks the way they used to think of them, that they're much more willing to give up high picks to win right now, um, to make a bold and a risky move. And this one certainly uh, rings true to that thought we had in the spring. But as for Vaughn Miller and the Rams in January and February, uh, think about it this way. Two picks, second round, a third round pick. Pretty steep. But if he makes two plays in January and even February, if in a playoff game he makes a, a on a third down and eights against Kyler Murray, he comes up with a sack, they get a winning field goal. Okay, that's one pick. He's worth it right there. If again, in January and February, tight game against Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you pick a quarterback, they're likely going to be playing at that time of the year. If he comes up with a strip sack that leads to a touchdown and they win by one score, those two plays, was he worth a second and third round pick? Uh, I think the answer would be 100% hell yes. And I think the one other point about this that we really can't forget is that if you're the Rams right now, you are getting to the point where you're probably never going to be better or have a better chance to win a Super Bowl than right now. 
because look, Aaron Donald, who knows how many more years he has left. Um, you know, there are injuries that hit all the time and they've been, they were fortunate last year in that department. And so they are healthy. They've got their guys playing very, very well. And I think when you have a chance to go for it, the Rams have proven time and again, they'll take the veteran over the future draft choice. I just really liked it. But but the one other thing I want to ask you, Paul, is what about bringing a guy on that team mentally in that locker room and on that team? What does that do? And what kind of effect can that have to the team on the field? First of all, I think anybody you talk to that's played with Von Miller enjoys having him on the team, not only for what he can do uh, on the field, but he, he's the kind of veteran people enjoy being around. So as far as a locker room, I think they're going to enjoy him quite a bit. And if, if, uh, if you're talking about a smart, savvy veteran player, and you've just stated that the Rams value veteran players, maybe somewhere in their mind too, that they realize, okay, we're an offense driven team. Our defense is really good, but we have an offense averaging over 30 points per game. That's rare in the league right now, probably at some point, December or January, maybe February, some team's going to hold them a touchdown less than that, maybe even 10 points less than that. How are we going to win that game? And if we add one more good player on defense, that'll help us win a game 21 to 20 when we're used to winning 34 to 17. So whether it's you enjoy being around Vaughn and they will, that's one. Or if it's two, the more nuanced thought of it football-wise or how he's going to help them win the games that matter, maybe even a game where their offense isn't quite there. I mean, I, I think if you're in that locker room for a number of reasons, you're 100% on board with this. Paul, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the job that the New Orleans Saints are doing and have done so far, particularly in beating the, New, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. I thought very simply, it's one of the best coaching jobs of Sean Payton's career not just because of the unlikely winning a game against Tom Brady and the Bucks with your third string quarterback, but it wasn't just that. I thought, and I talked to both Peyton and Trevor Simeon after this game, and it wasn't just the fact that Simeon was in there playing. It was also a couple of other facts now as uh, New Orleans looks at life in 20. 21 without Jameis Winston, the starting quarterback. But I thought it was a full roster effort. And that's what I really love about that. I remember Bill Parcells a long time ago when I covered the New York Giants. He used to say, I used to ask him questions about why do you churn your roster so much like at the end of training camp and, and why do you care so much about maybe this special teams guy or or whatever. And he would always say that the 48th guy, the 50th guy on your roster at some point that year is either going to win or lose a game. And so you want to make sure that you have mentally and, and in a scouting sense have invested enough time so that you feel really good 
that if you're gonna if your 48th guy on the roster has to play a lot, then you feel really good about it. And that's where we come in with uh, New Orleans in this game in that it wasn't only Trevor Simeon who you know has not been a starting quarterback in the NFL since 2017. But it was Kevin White who hadn't caught a pass since 2018. You know, he might have had the most rotten luck of any player to be highly drafted in recent years when he was a high pick of the Bears, a top 10 pick. And he just could never get healthy. But that was a huge pass that they that Simeon threw early in the third quarter to him. Uh, a fullback who nobody's ever heard of, Alex Arma, getting his first target of the season. And how big was it? It was a touchdown, a one-yard pass. That Who expected that to happen? So, so many of those guys, Garrett Griffin, uh, a tight end, arguably the fourth tight end on their depth chart coming into the season. He caught two important balls. And so all I'm saying is Sean Payton took lesser ingredients in this game and figured out a way to win one game, just win one game. And he figured out a way to win one game. And now, obviously, that's what he's going to have to do going forward. But I thought he just showed his his coaching chops on Sunday in that game, Paul. Yeah, coaching chops and scouting chops, uh, too, for that whole organization. Uh, I think, first of all, Peter, made me think this must be a team that practices really, really well, really disciplined, really smart to put these kind of players in a handful of situations where they can see them on Wednesday and Thursday in these spots and think, okay, can we trust them? And, and that's the word that also comes to mind, trust. You hear coaches, you hear scouts, if you're around it a lot, talking about some of these back half of the roster players. And I'll ask this question, is he a high rep guy? Is he a rep guy in practice? Uh, and that means for yeah. us to trust him on Sunday, does he have to have a bunch of reps during the week? And if, if he's a guy who needs that, we can't trust him as the 42nd or 48th guy in this roster because he's not going to get those reps. He has to be around our starters in this really disciplined, tough practice and be able to pay attention and know he can get out there and do it himself, even though he might only do it a couple of times a week in practice. So uh, wonderful job by Sean. But also, I think you have to understand, you have to respect that they've got a team full of guys, the back half of the roster, that they've developed a way to trust, even though they are likely not getting the kind of reps in practice that they need. Paul, you would really appreciate this being a former quarterback. But Trevor Simeon told me something that when I, and I told, because I talked to Simeon first and I talked to Peyton close to midnight, it was late. Uh, but when Trevor Simeon told me this and I told Peyton, Peyton's reaction was, oh my God, that is so great. Because just imagine in this game where Trevor Simeon has got to prepare like he's going to play in the game because he's the backup quarterback. Uh, Taysom Hill out with a concussion, should be back uh, full go this week. But Taysom Hill not available, so Trevor Simeon is the backup. And Peyton's point was that so often we look at backup quarterbacks and they know, well, you better prepare like you're going to play. And imagine you do that for one, two, three years and you never play because that was the situation 
with Trevor Simeon. He just never played. But the fact that he was ready to go in and execute what they had said they were going to use in this offense, I thought was really, really good. And I asked Simeon about that, and I said, what really interested me, the most interesting play in this game was you come out of halftime and your first play is you throw a deep ball on a go route to Kevin White, who has not caught a pass in the NFL since 2018. And that's your first throw out of the box. And Simeon told me, he said, listen, I was so happy with that call because understand, I'm playing scout team right now. That's my job. So I've got to get ready. But guess who else is playing scout team? Kevin White. So who do I have chemistry with right now? Because I throw to him every week. So whereas the starting quarterback on the team might not have a lot of chemistry with Kevin White, I do because I throw to him every day. And Peyton just loved that. It didn't enter his mind when he said, I'm going to make this call. What entered Peyton's mind was they were going to pick on Pierre Desir. And Peyton does this almost every week. He looks for what he considers, not that Pierre Desir is a bad player, even though he's been on a bunch of teams and can't find a home. But he just figured Pierre Desir is a guy who we're going to try to go after with speed players. And Kevin White has got a lot of speed. That just is a great example of you use a guy, everybody said, oh my God, Kevin White, he disappeared. We forgot he was even in the league, all that other stuff. But Peyton knows he's got one trait, even if he doesn't have a lot of experience, he's got speed. We see a weak point on this corner. I don't care if he hasn't caught a ball in 20 years. He's going to catch one in this game. I loved in that game how Peyton trusted the depth of his roster. Yeah, I enjoyed that part of your article yesterday morning, Peter, how you kind of drew out that example that really brought it full circle of these guys who didn't have a lot of experience playing, but they were playing together on scout team. Uh, it was just a, a really good snapshot of how they won. Uh, with Trevor Simeon too, Peter, I, I think he's in the perfect spot. I mean, maybe perfect isn't the right word because it's difficult to be a backup, but He's in an advantageous spot for being a backup because if you go back and look at 2016 and 17, he started a lot of games. He just didn't start like three yeah. or four. It's an into double digits. When, when you can do that and then take that experience, I know he wasn't playing and he's been around a number of teams. The way you're able to learn and pick out things from other veteran quarterbacks you see, uh, from other coaches that you listen to, it just sinks in a little more. And he's had three or four seasons to use that experience to accelerate the learning curve. And I'm sure that helped him, the combination of playing and being out for a while to, to, to gather perspective and gain even more knowledge helped him. And number two, the Saints have a real identity now. I mean, they haven't accidentally found their way to five and two without Drew Brees playing the way Drew played for all those years. They're top five in the league in, in turnover margin, in scoring defense, and in rushing yards. That's how they win. They still need Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon to convert third and sevens to not turn it over to play well. Right. But this is a team that's driven on other things outside of spectacular quarterback play. So I, I really like the story. 
and I really like the, the situation Trevor's in. And I, I love the potential for New Orleans to win, even if it is with a quarterback that nobody thought was going to be playing. You know, the last thing I would say on the Saints, in recent weeks, they've had three phone calls, three different teams call and try to acquire Trevor Simeon. I would bet $1,000 that one of them is the New York Jets. He didn't tell me mm -hmm. which teams. But he's had teams call to try to acquire Trevor Simeon. And look, the Saints could use a draft choice or two. You know, they uh, are a little threadbare in the draft now. But they wouldn't do it because Peyton's view is that I really like Trevor Simeon. He's calm. He's cool. In the off chance, we may need him. And who knows, maybe deep down, Peyton knew more than he was saying. But in the off chance or chance that they were going to need him, he did not want to give him away for the 178th pick in the draft in 2023 or whatever it would have been. But I give him credit, he and Mickey Loomis, the GM, for knowing when to hold him and when not to fold him. Um, Paul, I want to get to three other topics quickly. One is just Robert Sala, the New York Jets coach, after that amazing and exhilarating victory over uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, he refuses to close the door on Mike White, who threw for over 400 yards in that game. He refused to close the door on Mike White being his quarterback going forward. And he basically said, hey, look, anything is possible. I wonder what you, what you thought of that. I'm not sure I'm against it, but it did seem a little bit odd that he basically is, has opened the door to a possible quarterback controversy between Mike White and the second pick in this year's draft, Zach Wilson. It's, it's hard to unsee what he did and to win that kind of game. It's not like a backup came in and helped you win 10 to 9 or 17 to 16. I mean, he was in a shootout with Joe Burrow and he threw for over 400 yards. Team rallied around him. He made a lot of difficult throws. Uh, now, granted, it's only one game, but anybody who plays that way for a team who's struggling at the position prior to that, the coach has to be wide eyed and say, okay, let's see if he can do that again. And if he does do it again, I would certainly entertain the option of going with that guy. And I, I kind of come back to what I just said about Trevor Simeon. It's a smaller example, but Trevor played a lot, went to the bench for a long time, and I think his experience comes out better now. Zach Wilson may be better off taking that handful of games, uh, licking his wounds, and right. being on the bench and watching for a little while. So it, it could be best for the, the short term of the Jets if Kevin's going to play this way. And it just might be best for Zach as well if he can watch and learn and sit back for a little while before he goes back in. The Jets do not want to <clears throat> create a monster uh, in giving uh, Mike White a lot of games and having him play great and, and, and all that. I totally get it. But the more I've watched Zach Wilson, the more I think this is one guy who could use some time you know, on the sidelines. It's one guy who could use some time to just soak it in. Um, Paul, I watched a bunch of the Patriots against the Chargers. I thought it was a really, really fun game. And I'll tell you what interests me about the Patriots. They have some defensive playmakers that nobody really 
either respects or talks about very much. One of those guys surfaced on Sunday, safety Adrian Phillips, the former Charger. And they have a lot of guys who can make plays on defense. They don't need the explosive offense. They can win games narrowly, but I, the Patriots very, very much in a, in, in a not really deep AFC this year, the Patriots have a look of maybe the five or six seed uh, in the playoffs this year. A, a lot of um, kind of middle of the road play right now in the AFC, Peter. There are six teams, almost half the AFC, with four wins, and the Patriots are one of them. And with the way Mac Jones is developing, with the ton of talent you mentioned on defense, and with Belichick's history, I mean, there's no reason uh, to doubt the Patriots in that group of six. You know, a couple of them are going to surface and be around in January. And I would not bet against the Pats. And isn't it just so Belichick-like in this, as they're kind of figuring things out without Tom Brady to be this team that lost three of the first four games? And you say, oh, got offense struggled last year. Mac Jones are going to struggle. You know, we'll check back in later. Well, now all of a sudden they've won three of the last four. The defense is standing out. Jones is playing just fine, getting better all the time. So uh, that's a, a team not just because of the history with Bill, but because of what they're doing right now, uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on. Paul, what should the Detroit Lions do about Jared Goff? I think they have to ask themselves this question. Is, is he potentially part of the solution on offense? And they scored more than 20, I think, the first game, Peter. They haven't scored more than 20 points in their seven losses since. That's nearly impossible to do in the NFL. Uh, and, and they're one of these teams hovering below 20 per game. Is he somebody that can be part of getting past that? Or is he the main reason or one of the biggest reasons that they are struggling so mightily on offense? I mean, I don't know what you can do in the right now, unless there's something they're talking about with Deshaun Watson. Uh, but in terms of the long term, uh, is he... Is he someone who can lead you out of this? Or have you seen enough to say, you know what? Uh, this isn't going to get any better with that guy behind center. And they would have to make a tough call there. I think it's going to be one of those things that, as unfortunate as this sounds, I, I really think they're going to have to cut the cord with them in the offseason. Because they're going to see enough. They've probably almost seen enough now to realize he's not what they thought he was. Uh, and I, I, I would agree with you. They could, this could be an incredibly tough decision for them to make. Uh, but I would give him time to work his way out of it. I just, I have extreme doubts that he will. And I want to end, Paul, one, one last thing. Just sort of an appreciation for Mike Tomlin. I, mm -hmm. I really, I, I, we all saw him last week when he decried even brought, being brought up in a rumor sense with college jobs. He said, I got one of the best jobs in professional sports. And I find it so interesting that, that in his 15 years at the helm of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he now has won as many games in the regular season as Bill Cowher. And his winning percentage uh, is 65%. Cowher's was 62%. And I just think sometimes especially with the pressure on coaches to win and to win so big. 
that even though the Steelers have not won the Super Bowl in recent years, I have a great appreciation for Mike Tomlin getting team after team, time after time, ready to go and play at a high level. Peter, you've been around this a long time. I've been around it a little bit. And there are always coaches who present themselves well. They look at the sideline. They say the right things after the game. And you think, gosh, I really like this guy. But then you talk to somebody off the record who played for him, and they say, no, 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 no. You would not like him if you played for him. I can't <laughs> find a former player who's been in that locker room that doesn't right. speak well of Mike Tomlin. Like, they all like him. They all want, wanted to play for him. They want to keep playing for him. Uh, it just, just so happens within the last couple of weeks, Peter, my, my radio analyst at Notre Dame, Ryan Harris, played for the Steelers for a little while. He played for four, five, six teams. And I asked him, we were driving somewhere. I'm like, who's the one coach? Because you, you play for some pretty big name guys that you would really like to still play for. And without a doubt, big smile, Mike Tomlin, walking into the Mike Tomlin stories and, and what made him so special. So um, I agree with what you said. I like what I see from him, and I love talking to former players who've been around him who, from their own experience, speak even higher of him than you or I could. That's great. Paul Burmeister, thanks so much for <clears throat> taking the time this week. Uh, you know, a lot of insight and a lot of things going on in the NFL right now. We tried to hit a few of them, uh, but I appreciate it, and we'll be back next week for more. But now... I'm going to transition to Darius Butler, the former NFL corner uh, who's making his way in the media world now. So let's get into my conversation with Darius Butler. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the podcast, so happy to be joined by Darius Butler, the former NFL corner out of the great university, the University of Connecticut. And I, I, I wanted to have Darius on the show this week because, you know, as someone who, me, who monitors the media landscape a lot and goes in and tries to watch and listen to various things, you know, I've become a fan of the Man to Man podcast that Darius Butler and Antoine Bethay, two longtime NFL defensive backs, are doing. And one of the things I really like about it is that you have people who are kind of educating you about football and are not screaming. <laughs> and there's so, so much of NFL analysis across the board uh, comes from people who uh have have very high decibel levels and i've enjoyed listening and and having a lot about the game uh explained to me by darius butler so i just i reached out because i wanted to have him on the show this week darius thanks so much for joining me thanks for having me peter really appreciate this hey so <clears throat> i wanted to find out about your path when you stepped off the field 
in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You were second round pick of the Patriots, played nine years in the league. When you stepped off the field, what did you think you wanted to do? And what is it like when something you've done for whatever, probably about 20 years yeah. that you walk away from and you say, wow, what do I do now? So give me your, give me your post-career thought process. Man, so uh, first of all, you're never ready. You know, you're ready, never really ready for something um, like football, profession, being a professional athlete. Uh, to end, because it's one of those things that you, um, you know, you dream about doing as a kid. You know, you you ask a, a, a second grade, you know, class of, of boys what they want to do when they grow up. They all want to be professional athletes. And to be able to uh, actually live out that dream and then play, I was fortunate enough to play, you know, into my 30s, you know, 32, nine years in the league. And, you know, halfway through the league, you know, okay, let me look around. Let me start thinking about what's next. But you're so locked in on the game. You really have to be. Um, that it's hard to really, you know, put too much into it. But, you know, as time went on, you know, off seasons, I started doing different things. I went to a coaching clinic, uh, one off season. Then I went to broadcast boot camp, just started doing different things. And then once it finally ended football, um, I actually just, just took a step back and just relaxed, just chilled out for a good year, year and a half, spent a lot of time with the family, um, traveled a little bit. And then, you know, start getting that itch. You, you kind of go through different phases, honestly. You know, maybe a, a little depression, a little just missing that game, that gap, because nothing really fills it. And then I had to kind of, you know, try to figure something out um, that would get me get me going, get me up. I never in a million years thought I would get in the media, um, partly because of a lot of former players that I would see uh, going to it. I would feel like they would almost be, you know, pigeonholed into, you know, screaming at each other or, or making hot takes or doing these different things and not really giving real uh, raw analysts on a game. Um, so fortunate enough, the podcast uh, game kind of found me. I found it uh, through the help of Pat McAfee. He definitely helped us out a little bit, a, a lot, actually, to get started, me and AB. Um, you know, try, I knew I couldn't get into coaching. Coaching took, you know, take too much time, too much energy. And um, so, you know, podcasting, and then uh, I also have Everything DB, which kind of I dive into, you know, the details of some of the defense that's not really talked about, especially um, on TV anywhere. Can I ask you about one play in your career? Oh, absolutely. And I don't know why I remember this, but <laughs> I'm going to go back to, and you may not have great memory of it either. Who knows? I, I don't know. But do you have any memory about November 8, 2015, when uh, you guys, you're on the Colts at that time, mm-hmm. and you go to Denver and you play Peyton Manning and you get an interception. Can you tell me about what you remember about that day? Because I don't know why, but I remember that game. I think it was a late afternoon game. And <clears throat> I remember watching the game. And and for some reason, when I knew you were going to be on the podcast, I just sort of said, "I want to ask him about that play." What was this? The one? This was this? Um, this had to be home. Lucas Oil. I picked him off at home. Um, I thought you. Sure pick, oh, you did. Over. You did. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You picked him. You picked him off at home. That's right. In a game oh. you guys won in a little bit of an upset, 27-24. Yeah. So, yeah. What what's your yeah. what's your memory of that day? I definitely, first of all, I definitely remember that play. When people ask me um, what's my favorite interception, it's either that one or one I got um, 
on A-Rod and Lambo. But that one, I would say the one on Peyton at home, uh, a big reason was, you know, it was in the house that he built. It was in, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium. This was his maybe second time coming back, I believe. The first time was absolutely, you know, nuts. Um, and then this one, but this one, this is a big play uh, in the fourth quarter. And what a lot of people don't know is that he was actually three yards away from breaking the all-time passing record. I think he was passing Brett Favre at the time. I'm not sure. But I know coming into the game, he was supposed to break it um, in our game. And he was three yards shy. And I picked that off with probably six minutes and some change left. <laughs> um, our offense went down, drove it down. Uh, Tlaib actually got like a personal foul. I think he like poked Dwayne Allen in the eye or something like that. And we ended up running the clock out. Vinny kicked the game ceiling uh, field goal and he never got a chance to get back on the field. So he ended up breaking it the next week uh, somewhere else. But we were all ready to give him, you know, his presentation and standing ovation. And I kind of ruined that. So I definitely remember that. <laughs> and uh, that would definitely be something, uh, something I tell my kids, man. It was one of his favorite plays, put Marius Thomas in the slot. And he runs kind of that crossing route. Uh, I think Trent Cole got a nice reroute on me. Uh, David Perry, oh, what on uh, Thomas, should I say? David Perry got up in the middle, got pressure on Peyton. And um, I just beat uh, DT to the spot and made it, uh, made a great play. But uh, yeah, that, that one, I still have that ball somewhere in his house. Yeah, that's very, very cool. So when you thought that you wanted to do this job and mm -hmm. thought you wanted to sort of dip your toe into this, what did you think that you wanted to maybe to do differently than, as you say, than the hot take guys? Uh, I guess, you know, now that I'm doing a podcast and I have, I, I guess I throw some hot takes out there too. I guess when you're talking on TV or on the radio or whatever, you got to do it at some point. You just got to jump out there and say what you believe. Uh, but I just really wanted to be real authentic and give more insight into a lot of the things that happen because there are a lot of people that talk about, and there are a lot of people who have more sources and things along, along those lines inside locker rooms. Uh, but for the most part, you know, to get a real honest uh, reaction on a lot of things that take place on the field and off the field, um, you know, it is no better place to hear it from a, a player kind of with no filter, you know, and, and it's hard going from a player to going to a member in the media um, because it is kind of a line you have to tread, you know, because there are things that's kind of like, you know, against, a, you know, a code, you know, as far as players. And I, and I, I try my best not to, not to cross that. Um, but players, you know, respect, uh, you know, what I say. Even if I, I make videos sometimes and I point out, hey, you know, this player should have been in the flat or he should have been in the post or they should have done this and communicated and played it that way. And more times than not, honestly, players will reach out to me and be like, hey, you're, you're absolutely right on that. That's exactly what we said in meetings. Or, you know, appreciate that, man. You know, because that's what we do as players. We get corrected. We take constructive criticism and we move on. Literally every day, that's a part of our job. After practice, after games, we go in the film room, we correct things. So um, a lot of people don't take offense to it, but I think it's a certain way to do it and do it with some tact and, uh, you know, respect. And, uh, you know, guys uh, appreciate that more than anything. And fans do as well. You know, the, the, the I mean... It was crazy when I first started putting up videos and even till now, that's like, regardless of what I do, if I meet someone in the media, a fan anywhere, the first thing they bring up is everything DB or talking football. And um, that kind of took me, you know, by surprise. And it was kind of like what you said, like a lot of people, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you don't really get a lot of insight on what's going on. A lot of people that cover the games, you know, their quarterbacks 
or you know, um, you know, people who've just, who've been in media their entire career. And there's not enough people on TV that can really talk about the defensive side of the ball, and especially not the coverage. So um, I'm glad that I brought that to a lot of fans, and a lot of people say I kind of deliver it in a digestible way. So um, I, I've been enjoying yeah. it. I, I I appreciate it, and I don't know if you can tell in the videos, but you know, I miss being in, the, in those meeting rooms. Of course. I mean, if you're, if you've done it, you've been playing football since you were what you're from Florida. So you're probably <laughs> yeah. playing football since you were in the womb. Um, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, so I want to get into two or three people and your analysis of those people and how they're playing. I thought it was really, really interesting watching Patrick Mahomes against the Giants on Monday night because, as I said earlier in this podcast before you you came on, what was so fascinating to me is that you can tell in the first two Kansas City series of the game, he is playing an arch-conservative style of football. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not... He's not stretching the defense because it's almost like you're trying to get back into the groove. So to get back into the groove, you're going back to ground zero and you're just doing the stuff that you did the first day you kind of walked in there. And then the interception he threw when the ball hit off the helmet and it went through the hands of Josh Gordon in the end zone. This thought occurred to me. I said, okay, you're doing great until then, but now you reverted and you wanted to be Patrick Mahomes of 2019. And I just I just want to know what you see right now with both Mahomes and that offense. I mean, it, it's, he was crowned so early and, and, and rightfully so because the things that he was doing, you know, from the beginning when he became a start, started was something we hadn't seen before. 50 touchdowns, you win an MVP, your second year you follow it up. Um, you know, with the, a Super Bowl title. And you see him paired up with Andy Reid, Eric Bannaby, and the weapons that surround him. And they kept everybody and paid him. I mean, you only saw it, the trajectory going up. But in, in this league, and you, you've covered it, you know, forever. I, I've been around it for a while now. And people, people catch up sometimes. And, and you can't just crown a guy that early. You can't just say, oh, this is going to be the greatest ever. Like what Brady's done, Breeze, Manning, those type of guys with those long careers. It's tough to recreate that year in and year out. And they do the greatest quarterbacks that I've seen that I played against. They do the simple things over and over and over and over again. And then when they have to be special, they're special. And Patrick Mahomes from day one, it's almost like he always had to be special. Everything he did, he didn't, you said he was going back to kind of, I, I feel like his base fundamentals was were never normal they were never basic they were always wow he's not supposed to throw across his body he's not supposed to throw no look passes he's not supposed to just you know sling it 75 yards down the field um on the run but he continued to get away with these things and defenses for some reason took a while to adjust but now what you're seeing is defenses saying hey okay we're going to back off we're going to not let 10 kill us we're not going to let Tyreek Hill kill us down the field and we're going to have somebody for Travis Kelsey in critical situations or maybe two people on them. And then somebody else has got to beat us. 
And, um, you know, nobody else has been consistently creating separation outside of those two. They don't have a, a respectable run game um, that the defense has to come in a game plan for. And the offensive line, they put a lot of resources into it this offseason, but they, they aren't really paying a dividend. So, and you can see Patrick Mahomes losing the trust in that offensive line. One thing that we look at as DBs is how, how much did this quarterback, how much do they look at the rush? You know, the great ones, they kind of feel the rush. And her eyes are always downfield. You're now seeing pay, um, uh, Mahomes, he's looking at the right. He'll look downfield. He'll look for a couple of reads. Okay, I don't have the big one. Okay, I don't have this guy. And he's immediately escaping to his right or his left. Uh, and these things, you know, if you're continually making those passes, they're going to come to bite you at some point. And this is something that me and, Ant me and AB talked about. Patrick Mahomes will be a quarterback that in the media room on Wednesday, on Thursday, if I'm a DB coach, if I'm a, a, a guy in the secondary, I'm telling my DBs, hey, guys, great player, great weapons, but we're going to have three or four chances to create turnovers on this guy. Every game, he's going to give us three or four shots. And this is not just 2021. This is 2020, Mahomes. This is 2019, Mahomes. This is every year. It was just guys not capitalizing on those opportunities. And what me and AB talked about is maybe they're harping a little more like, hey, we have to capitalize on these opportunities. The more you keep 15 on the sideline, um, the better chance you have. So it's those things combined with the defense not really uh, playing well this year either. Uh, but th this is what happens. Um, you know, teams don't just come in this league and just dominate for long stretches, uh, you know, unless you have something like what happened in New England, which you don't see often. So um, it it's part of, I guess, their growth. Maybe it's just a rough spot. Um, it's still too early on, too good of coaches, too good of players to completely count them out. Uh, but it, it's definitely looking rough right now. As a corner, when you prepare for Mahomes versus, say, Brady, Justin Herbert, a more, a more set guy, a more pocket mm -hmm. guy, tell me as a corner what the difference in preparation that week is? I mean, you know, it, it's, I, it's not, I mean, it's tough either way, obviously. Uh, but the thing about Brady is, you know where he's going to be for the most part. You know, you know, he's going to be in the pocket and that's where he manipulates you more so with his mind than anything. And you also know, nine times out of 10, him, Peyton, those guys, they're going to know what the hell you're in. You're not going to fool them. You know, you play with Belichick, we tried to make everything actually look the same pre-snap if we were playing a guy like Peyton. You do the same thing against a guy, you know, like Tom, and they still figure it out. They adjust better than anyone. Um, and then with Mahomes, it's almost similar to, like, Aaron Rodgers or a Ben Roethlisberger. Like, you can have your initial – you can be on point, your initial coverage, your initial break, but then you know it's, at some point it's going to turn into backyard football, you know, 10 plays out of the game. And when you have a guy, I know with Big Ben, he had AB, uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, it was Jordy or Devontae. And um, you see with Mahomes, it's Hill or Kelsey. So that's the extra element that you can't prepare for. The only thing, the only way you can practice that is just, you know, implementing maybe some scramble drills or you do something like that. But it, it's going to be different on game day. So that's very, very, I mean, that's impossible to game plan for ultimately. So um, that's what kind of gives those players that extra edge when they can, Kyler Murray is another guy, you know, he can just extend the plays and just have the coverage compromise. I mean, you can't cover these guys for five seconds, four or five seconds. Like, that's darn near impossible. So that's really the difference uh, game planning or preparing for, you know, those two different types of uh, quarterbacks. 
You, I, I want to ask you one other question about the job itself before we move on to the last couple things. I, I, I had an interesting conversation with Adrian Phillips, the Patriots safety, who used to play with the Chargers and who sort of had the walk-off uh, interception and pick six yep. of Justin Herbert on Sunday. And I asked him what it was like to play for Bill Belichick and what has he learned in Bill Be with Bill Belichick. <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, Coach Belichick has a canvas. And you can play, you can have the freedom to sort of draw it up the way you want to some degree, if it makes sense and if it works. And so, that, yeah. and I had never heard, I had never heard a player, especially a defensive player, talk about Belichick and freedom, you know, in sort of <laughs> in the same sentence. But you, you played for him in 20, 2009 and 2010. Yeah. You were drafted by him. And I just wonder, what do you, what do you think of that analysis? Does it ring true to you? Well, I, it, you would get different uh, different answers from different people. I definitely was not one of those players that experienced that type of freedom. <laughs> but once again, that was something that I guess, you know, you earn. Or one thing that Belichick does is um, that was kind of different than a lot of places is, you know, he's going to put you in, in the best position that he feels like you can succeed. Like we had a player, sometimes we had a package for a corner that was, wasn't really getting much reps. But he was doing well in the pass rushing drill. So we put in a package one week of him just rushing a passer as a cornerback. And that's something you don't really see um, across the league. So he'll definitely change it up. And one thing about Bill is he's not afraid to completely switch a game plan up, you know, week to week, sometimes even, you know, uh, during a game or, um, you know, just giving guys certain matchups. Hey, this is your matchup or this is exactly what you're doing this week. But, um, you know, different players will have different experiences with them because there are some players who have some different levels of um, freedom there. But I feel like you have to earn that. And, um, you know, watching Phillips play there and thrive there, you talked about the two interceptions. Um, I actually just broke down a play I put on uh, on Twitter this morning of a play uh, where he was just rerouting Mike Williams and that helped J.C. Jackson make a play downfield because Belichick, it's just different, man. Uh, the way he teaches the game, uh, the way he holds the entire you know team and defense accountable for knowing the game, not only knowing what they have to do, but knowing what's going on around them and on the other side of the ball. Uh, he, he, he does, you know, it, it's not even comparable to what goes on in other places. And, um, you know, that, that shows uh, that shows that shows his head during the most critical points in, in, in ball games. Was it fun practicing against Tom Brady or misery? Uh, you know what? It was fun because you knew whoever you were facing that Sunday, they weren't going to be 12. Uh, you know what I mean? It would, it would, you know, it would be different. You know, <laughs> Peyton Manning week was different. You know, that was just different around the building. But, um, you know, outside of that, I remember looking at, looking at some guys, sometimes the throw would be made, and, you know, when it was, you know, good on good. And he'll make a throw or he'll make a check or adjustment or something in two minutes. And we just kind of look at each other and be like, you know, I, I'd rather it happen on Thursday than on Sunday. And uh, whoever we're playing, you know, this, this weekend is not going to be doing that. So uh, that's the good part about it. And 12, man, he, he's an assassin. You know, he wants to go out there and, and, and be the best absolutely every day 
you know, every workout, every practice, every every period doesn't matter. So when you jog out a tunnel um, behind them on Sundays, and then you know Belichick has done the the best to prepare you. You know, you feel pretty good about your chances every week. Darius, uh, I want to ask you about two sort of current events. One is a play from Sunday that Carson Wentz made that Frank Which Wright, one? the coach, tried to apologize for afterwards. It's the play that was the screen that that uh, oh, uh, Frank Wright called near the goal line that Carson Wentz throws the interception. It becomes a a debacle of a play. But here's what I wanted to ask you. I want to say, tell you how I read this play, how I saw this play. But obviously, Carson Wentz, you know, gets a heavy rush on this play. Mm-hmm. He's in his end zone. And you can see very, very briefly what he wanted to do is he wanted to spike the ball at the ground, okay? Which, of course is what he should have done. Mm-hmm. But instead, he starts running away, throws the ball left-handed, it's intercepted, pick six, totally changes the course of the game. And after the game, Frank Reich said, terrible call, I never should have put him in that position. You know, I just have this feeling. I once sat in on a meeting between Sean Payton and Drew Brees on a Saturday night before the game, and the comfort level of those two guys saying, ah, I don't like this, throw that out, yeah. do this. They were so comfortable with each other, knowing exactly what was going to work that day. But, but and, and that's what really kind of bothers me about this play. These guys know each other. They've worked well together. There's a reason why Frank Wright called that. And of course, it looks terrible in retrospect. But he trusted that regardless of what happened, that there wasn't going to be a nuclear explosion on the play. So I'm I'm really curious what you thought of that play. And do you blame the coach 30% and the quarterback 70% opposite? What do you think? You know, Carson... You know, he, he's got to know, you know, when, when it's over, you know, he's got to know when the play is over. Like yeah. you said, he had the thought to throw it at the feet throw, and everyone knows um, that's what he should have done. But I honestly, I put that probably 80% on the coach and, and I really give a coach that much blame, but that was a, a terrible uh, play call. Not only you don't run a screen, you know, inside your 10 yard line, number one, um, because you're actually welcoming pressure to your quarterback and it's a slow developing play especially a screen to your tight end. And the Titans have been getting after the quarterback all day. You know, they, they have been doing a good job of getting after the quarterback and applying pressure. So I think it was a horrible play call. And the decision um, was even worse. It ended up actually being a decision in a play that it actually gave him a chance to get back in the game because if he takes a safety there, um, you know, the game's essentially over. So he ended up throwing it and, you know, making that, ter- you know, the left-hand play that ended up in a pick six. Uh, but it, I mean, Carson's got to know, you know, when to say, you know, when to say it's over, when to say the play is over. And Andrew Luck, you know, has some of that in him as well. Um, you see a lot of players, especially, you know, these athletic quarterbacks who just don't want, know when to say, okay, throw the ball away, take the sack. Obviously in that moment, you couldn't take the sack, but just when to say, you know, the play's dead. Uh, but terrible play call by Frank. 
Um, but the play that bothered me even more was the interception you threw to Bayer to to pretty much end the game because, yeah, in that situation, you know, as a quarterback, as players, we all have keys. Like we have, like I, if I'm in a cover three, if I'm in a cover two, if I'm in a man blitz, whatever, I have a key or two that I'm reading from the offense. And as quarterbacks, when they're reading coverages, you have keys as well. Okay, if this flat defender is sinking too deep, let me throw the underneath one. If this guy is up on the short one, let me throw the deep one. Say and vice versa. Let me read the post safety. Every key on that defense on that rep told Carson not to throw where he throw the ball where he threw it. So I have a bigger issue with that one on Carson. The uh, pick six, I feel like that was much more on uh, on Frank Wright. And, um, you know, it's, it's been some some questionable calls made this season. I saw someone ask him if he thought about giving up play calling uh, responsibilities, and it was a quick, short answer, no. Um, but, you know, we, we need, it's a production business, so uh, they need more production in that, in that category. Interesting. Um, in the couple of minutes we have left, I'm curious now, when you watch Von Miller play football, he's had some good moments so far this year, but I think one of the things the Rams are going to do, in my opinion, acquiring Von Miller was a lot more about January and February than it is about November. Oh, yeah. And I believe that Von Miller is not going to be playing 80% of the snaps anymore. They're going to try to make sure that they conserve him for January and February. I want to hear what you thought about the Rams acquiring him. I mean, I loved it. It was the Rams going all in. And uh, I don't know when they have a first or second round draft pick again, but I don't think they care. Uh, they're going all you'll in have right you'll now, have a great you'll have a gray beard when that happens <laughs> I, seriously but uh they, they're going all in man they got they got the quarterback you know that that they feel like can take him and put him over the top and um, obviously they've been having a great year uh you know offensively and like you said i think this move is really you know for that championship run you know you preserve von miller uh, until that that late stretch and you know he's not the same von miller from five six years ago but he's still, you know, a top tier pass rusher. Um, it was kind of similar to what well, I thought kind of same mind of when Arizona went out, got JJ Watt. Like, no, he's not the same JJ Watt. I don't expect him to be out there hundred percent of the downs and wreaking havoc every play. Um, but he, he, you see the difference with him out, with him out of that lineup. And uh, with Von Miller, I don't think he's, you know, that Jordan, but he can definitely be a Pippen uh, to Aaron Donald up front. Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, J.J. Watt, like Alden Smith before, you know, he started getting to some of his things. Those were some of the guys who I thought when I saw him, like, hey, these are first ballot Hall of Famers, you know, after seeing him for maybe two seasons. And um, I think Von Miller still has enough juice left in the tank to be a Pippen to make, you know, season-changing, you know, playoff-changing type plays um, down the stretch. you got an offense that can put up, you know, 30 points a game. You got a defense who you want to keep, you know, two safeties back as much as possible, which that's kind of the trend you're seeing in the NFL now. And what helps you do that, what helps you allocate more resources to coverage is having guys up front that can get after the passer. So Aaron Donald would demand a double team, you know, down in and down out. And um, I wouldn't be too comfortable just leaving, you know, 58 or whatever number he ends up with, you know, on an island all day with my tackle. So I think it's a great move by the Rams. Uh, I think it's going to end up being a great move, uh, being a great move for Von Miller, you know, at this point in his career. Um, I don't think Denver will be, you know, competing this year. Um, so, I, I mean, I love it for both sides. And Broncos, they got a second, yeah, third Denver, round pick. Yeah, Denver, 
you know, Denver gets ammo because they're going to have to go get a quarterback next spring. So I don't know if it's Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers or whatever, but or whether they draft somebody, but they needed some draft capital to get in position. I do want to end with one question that just occurred to me. So I've asked a lot of people this question, and I'm not, there isn't a right answer. <laughs> but I I have been thinking a lot about if I'm Aaron Rodgers, do I want to get traded in 2022? Maybe to a team I really want to go to. But let's say, do I want to get traded to Denver or Pittsburgh or, I, I you know, some team that needs a quarterback for the next three to five years? Or do I want to play one more year in Green Bay and be an unrestricted free agent at age 39 in early 2023, three years earlier than Tom Brady became an unrestricted free agent, knowing that I'm in pretty good shape right now and I might be able to play for a while. What do you think is the move there? You know, I, I have no idea. Coming into this year, I thought it was a good chance. Maybe he hangs it up. You know, maybe he, you know, he's kind of over it with the front office or how things are just being done. And then watching him play this year, I mean, he looks like he he he, he still loves the game. Obviously, he loves his teammates. You hear him speak, you know, glowingly about everyone in the locker room. Went out, brought Randall Cobb back. Um, he lays it on the line week in and week out. The season that he's put together, in my opinion, is almost just as impressive as his MVP season last year, what he's done so far. Um, so I don't know. I, maybe things are even patched up in Green Bay. I'm not, I don't want to jump to that conclusion. But as a Dolphins fan, right. as a lifetime Dolphins fan, I say you follow the Tom Brady script. Be flow. Let's show him something that we can build with. Let's get him down here to the warm weather in Miami. Let's get him some more weapons. Give some draft to do something to get Aaron Rodgers down here. I'll take Aaron Rodgers in his 40s. You know, I'll, I'll take that for a couple of years <laughs> as, as, a, as a Dolphin. We've been looking for a guy since Marino. And, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the book's still out on tour to see. But my hope as a Dolphins fan will be that Aaron Rodgers comes down here in this warm weather and start living your best life, just like uh, Tom. You know, he's getting in the crypto game. Like, you know, come on, just keep going that way, 12. <laughs> What do you mean? It's only been 21 years since you've been trying to replace Marino. Man. My goodness. A long That's like 21. most I'm of your 35. life. <laughs> exactly. I'm only 35. We've, we've been looking, man. We've been looking. Yeah. Hey, Darius Butler, I really appreciate getting to know you a bit and talking to you. You're doing a great job. And uh, I'll continue to listen to Man to Man Pod with you and Antoine Thank you. Bethay. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Peter. My thanks in another good podcast week for Paul Burmeister for his discussion on all things NFL and to Darius Butler for his insights on the National Football League. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Look forward to another fun week of football and we'll look forward to having you back again next week.